BMI Online, JBA here, and welcome to another episode of Diversity and Mentorship in Investing, a limited series where we chat with some incredible angels and VC investors about diversity in investing each week. Are you looking to start or grow your startup but can't feel like you get to that next level? Well, DMI listeners, we have several private communities and a startup incubator specifically geared for you. Visit VentureC.com forward slash incubator to apply and join the growing number of funded startup businesses. Incubators are one of the best ways to get honest and direct feedback to strengthen the possibility to get funding. So apply now as there are a limited number of spots available. VentureC.com. Now, let's get ready to chat with our featured guest, Dr. Naveen Goyal. Dr. Naveen, are you ready to have a conversation about diversity and mentorship in investing? Absolutely, and it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Naveen Goyal spends most of his time running Loud Capital, a venture capital firm that is purpose-driven and positively impacting people's lives. He educates new and existing investors, builds and invests in people-centric companies, and offers opportunities to grow their capital. In his first career as a practicing anesthesiologist, he learned how to take care of people and how to work with other leaders as a medical director, but also realized he wanted to impact people more broadly. To marry this new passion for venture capital with his skills as a medical professional, he founded a mobile healthcare company that has scaled to five states and raised multiple rounds of capital from various investors. From there, he wrote a book on venture capital, leadership, and his transition from clinical career to running a venture capital firm. Overall, he's committed to bringing daily value, positivity, experience, and motivation to his community. Awesome. So, doctor, take a step back and fill in some gaps about growing up and what made you the man you are today. Wow, that's a, that's a broad question. I'm going to try to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised with a very supportive family that made a lot of sacrifices. My Both my parents were from India and immigrated to the States back in the 60s. And they committed to supporting myself and my siblings in education and doing and arming myself with the skills that I needed to keep moving forward. Uh, so simply said, I just had a lot of support. And culturally, Indians are have a very big community that support each other. So I, I didn't recognize it early on, but I can tell you in reflection that I had a very supportive group of family, friends, cousins, and um, extended family. Interesting. So I know you mentioned uh, a couple of uh, different communities, and we'll get into the topic of specific communities in a little bit. Uh, one thing I do want to mention, during COVID, obviously, a lot of people, especially in healthcare, there was a tremendous shift, both people's personal lives and professional lives. And it kind of, I think, exasperated that in the healthcare industry specifically. What overall impact did that have on you and the communities you support during that time? Yeah. So, uh, and I think you're, you're spot on. So, you know, I have a lot of physicians and healthcare workers in my, in my world. And so I consider them uh, a community and I have a lot of, you know, physicians and healthcare workers that are also investors, supporters, and stakeholders in, in a lot of the venture and, and companies that I uh, work with. So I was getting a lot of firsthand conversations and feedback on how, number one, COVID was obviously stressing a lot of people out, but you're not only becoming stressed at home or in your home or safe environment, you're also going to work and taking care of other people. And in the very early 
days of the pandemic where, you know, supplies were short and, you know, from masks to, you know, gloves, et cetera, that can be another level of stress. And so you're, imagine you're a physician walking into a emergency room and it's already a bit stressful because you don't know what's going to come in and you're trained. And then you have this pandemic where you're afraid for your own self. You're afraid for what you bring home to your family or your uh, loved ones. And then you also have this, you know, early virus, which we don't know a lot about. And you're trying to do the right thing because ethically, you know, physicians, that's what they do. First, do no harm. It's I want to make sure that I take care of you. There's no one to, you know, there's no other person to go to right after you. And, and that's a lot of stress. And so I was hearing it, I was feeling it and was just trying to be supportive to each other. But that's really what started snowballing. Um, I think what was already present as burnout in the physician and healthcare community, but it really pushed people over the edge. Yeah. And I heard I have my family's, uh, it's funny, everyone in my family is pretty much in the medical uh, industry from doctors, anesthesiologists to nurses. So, you know, the front lines of seeing that uh, transformation definitely was, you know, a lot difficult for a lot of people to take through. So thanks for that uh, uh, insight. As a clinical yeah. practitioner yourself and then turn venture VC, you know, what focus areas are you involved in? Obviously talk about healthcare, but I'm assuming, you know, it can create a larger ecosystem when you talk about globally or domestically. Uh, what areas do you generally focus on on, on the VC side of things? Yeah. So, you know, right now we're pretty industry agnostic. You know, we've, we've touched a lot of industries, you know, technology, education, energy, healthcare, you know, foundationally, when entrepreneurs are, are building a company and driving towards a, a purpose, um, which is what we look for, we look for a purpose in the company. So there's, you know, companies that make make good money and they have a great marketing strategy to, to basically take over market share from another company, okay, to be more competitive. But in the end, it's really can be just an exchange of money from one company to another. That stuff mm. doesn't excite us. All right. It's, it's building value. It's actually problem solving. So if you imagine uh, the first 10 problems that you can think of in the world that you would want to solve, those are the things that are really meaningful. And we feel we want to spend our valuable time, experience and investors capital going towards. And so, you know, my first venture of, you know, uh, it's, it's called Offer Health, which is a mobile anesthesia company in five states. We take care of kids who um, have dental disease. Let's say you're a five-year-old kid, you're on Medicaid. And I, I say Medicaid because that just puts you in a category where you have a nine to 12 month wait mm. at a hospital to get those teeth extracted. And so what we do is we actually say, you know what, you don't need to go to the hospital. You don't need to go to a surgery center. You just got diagnosed at your dental practice. Why don't you come back within two to four weeks at your dentist, we'll come there, bring our team, put the child off to sleep, um, get this done with the dentist who diagnosed it in their own office and move on. And so you never need to go to the hospital. You don't need to wait nine or 12 months. And so just that is a for-profit business that insurance companies support, provider support. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a pro it's, and it's also a procedure that hospital systems with these high cost operators do not want to take care of. So in that sense, everyone wins. And that's what's shaped my um, vision of entrepreneurship. Like this can actually solve problems 
be profitable and get buy-in from all these stakeholders. And so now what else can we touch? And so that's how we, that's kind of our lens of venture capital. That's interesting. And, and I mentioned that because I did look at your you know team and it's pretty diverse from the loud capital perspective. But interestingly enough, what made you decide to build the venture capital team? And when did you realize you wanted to run a VC firm versus sole investor? Because ideally in that instance, you could probably solve more problems with a group of people versus, you know, one man show being an individual angel? Um, actually, this is a great question. I actually love this because it's really what I've learned over time. So I started out as an angel investor using my own money and investing in different companies. Um, and eventually people started, you know, who knew me and said, you know, you're, you're practicing medicine. Now you, you started this mobile anesthesia company. And now you're also investing um, you know, let me know how I can get involved in the startup scene or, or invest in this world. And so that's how our first angel fund started in 2015. But, you know, when you start recognizing that it's just not the capital into this, let's say a purpose driven company, like, hey, they're doing great things. They need some capital. Let's invest. There is so much more that is needed and that happens after that capital is deployed. It's what do you do with the capital? The next hundred obstacles that come up tomorrow, do you have people to help tackle those obstacles with you? And this is not just something in the next couple months. This is something a year from now, two years from now. Oh, you need to raise another round. Well, on average, founders spend 80% of their time raising capital for their next round. But wait, there's a company to run. There's people to recruit. There's people to invest in. Right? Like It is such a bigger monster than I ever dreamed of if you will, if you call it a dream. So I just realized as an angel investor, I was getting exposed to it. But could that capital be structured in a way where it's coming with more capital, coming with strategy, coming with other stakeholders that are going to mitigate the risk and really help the the best, you know, create the best chance for that company. And so that's where my fund turned into a firm where I started bringing other experienced people who believe in what I just told you in the sense of creating a real social impact in a for-profit world. Um, That's that's how we slowly started aggregating it. And, And this isn't something that I could spit out in 2014 to say, oh, this is where we're going. I'm just reflecting on how things started to come together and now where we stand today as a firm. Got it. And that's organic. I mean, it definitely makes sense. And we t- actually attended TechCrunch Boston uh, yesterday. And so it was interesting because, yeah, that same thing. Oh, we just need the capital. And a lot of firms say, well, not really. <laughs> There's going to be other things and you don't know what you don't know. So that's actually you know an excellent um, point and, and segue to uh, one of the things I, I re- remember hearing you mention in think one of the interviews, the term forest bias. And I remember, you know, years ago when I was doing a a, a, uh, a show with Damon John, that's one of the you know models of FUBU forest bias. And you mentioned that medical degrees provide limited scope uh, and that the system itself is not designed or built bias for us. Could you elaborate on that and kind of what impacts your VC motivations and decision making? in terms of like the forest bias approach for the community, perhaps. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, you know, I talked to a lot of physicians and a lot of physicians reach out and curious about the, the pathway I've taken and uh, just curious about, you know, how to gain more skill sets or how to think a little bit differently than, than what we've kind of been taught. And, and so let, let's go back to the roots of what, you know, a physician. So a physician works really hard, many years of, of schooling, you know, has the, um, 
opportunity to learn these skills to take care of people. Okay. And then as we progress, let's say 10 years into our career, you're like, wait, I'm still taking care of people one-on-one. I'm still seeing the same problems. Let's say you're a pediatrician and you do see this. Uh, let's go back to dental. You do see dental disease and you're like, man, like, okay, your senior dentist fine, but it's really affecting your pain and nutrition and all these other things that are um, connected, right? So it's oral systemic health, the dental and the medical world's being separate is, by the way, it's crazy. I think it should all be connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that pediatrician says, wait, but this child that I'm seeing here, that's let's say seven years old, I was doing this a decade ago and I was seeing them this, and a seven-year-old child had the same problems. Am I really making a dent in the world? I know some of the factors that are contributing to this, let's call it uh, nutritional factors, socioeconomic factors, all these things. And me as a physician can only see them when they're sick or only see them when they have an appointment. And so what I tell physicians is we are ethical leaders. We do care about that person, but do we need to work within the confines of a system that was not created by us individually, or it was created and maybe it worked, but let's revisit. Is this healthcare system where I only get to see a child when they get really sick, come into my office, is that the way it should be? Or should I be managing the whole process of their safe home environment so uh, can I contribute to other factors in the community that help them, that help shape them, education, you name it, right? And so that's where we're starting to get into how I look at healthcare. You know, I believe in health of people, and that doesn't mean a healthcare system or medical devices. That actually means so many factors that contribute to our physical and mental health. Interesting. And it's funny you say that because I was uh, thinking about what you just said about when they're sick, only be able to see patients in that in that uh, condition. But one of the interesting topics is healthcare AI, right? And obviously I've been in the healthcare or the, the AI space for some time now before chat GPT. But on a positive side, I think it has potential for quicker service and care through automation. Let's say a combination of Apple Watch, which monitors my vitals and a voice bot, which then can dial and communicate to the 911 dispatch Um uh, but reading the operator or reading to the operator all the information of my vitals real time, right? Saving some time there. But on the other hand, right, the current iteration could be misused and maybe more importantly, have missed medical information put out there and miscommunicated to the customer. Just curious about your like AI thoughts and, and how that could possibly, you know, benefit or, or not the, the community and, and growth in that, uh, in that sector. So I'll just say high level. I think. I'm going to call it technology, not just even AI. I think technology plays an important role, but it really has to enable people. And so if you can get the technology and the power to support that in everyone's hands, so everyone has access, I think it could be game changing. But the problem is a lot of people are focused on the tech and what it can do and who it connects with, but forgetting that some people don't even have the internet or the means Mm -hmm. to have a Apple watch. Mm -hmm. Like I think we have the best app in the world that comes on iPads, but how many people have iPads that really need it? That the, you know, for talking about health equity. And so, and I never used to really go that deep, but now I realize the lack of access Mm -hmm. that we have. And some of it has been the, you know, the, the offer health venture has taught me so much about the communities we go in and how, how different my world is. Like I, I am a father of two girls, 14 year old and a 12 year old, and I currently have private insurance. And if they had the issues of dental disease, I could probably get them scheduled in a week 
versus if I was on Medicaid, it would take me nine to 12 months. Yeah. Like just like, and, and you probably know that and a lot of other people know that I'm just letting you know that hits me really hard at this stage of life. And so when I'm thinking about innovations and things of healthcare that can really help people, um, I don't think of technology and AI at the moment. I think it supplements a model where people can be reached first. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. And, and even myself, you know, having a, a global team working internally with a global team, it's like, I've seen that firsthand, you know, I teach students in uh, colleges and even with that, right. Harvard versus like, let's say the local college, the, the yeah. level of access, uh, not just healthcare, but other industries, but specifically healthcare is, is uh, definitely important. Um, and I'm glad you, you brought that up and, and mentioned that. One of the last questions I wanted to ask, obviously, from a VC perspective, the the SVB bank ecosystem <laughs> yeah. fallout. Now, obviously, the ramifications there on the larger system. You know, obviously, there's loans, there's debt, there's VC funds. What do you think that has as an impact? Because SVB was kind of in that startup community, and I look at that and say, okay, what what ramifications could that have for trust? This whole ecosystem for you know what we're trying to do, uh, you know, in the next few years and even down the line. Yeah, so uh, I wrote a brief article on this when this happened on LinkedIn because all our accounts at Loud Capital were at SVB. Mm. And so I was at South by Southwest doing a panel when I got notifications and my team was like, oh my. And um, mm -hmm. so I was getting emails from our founders and then obviously our own operational, our own payroll, everything was on SVB. So it was a freak out in multiple ways. But now that things are a little bit more stable with like, you know, the new owners of SVB, et cetera, and, and things have come down temporarily, the effect that it has had uh, that I've personally seen is uh, a lack of trust. And so people are going to the, you know, big five banks, which, okay, that's fine. But I talk, I speak to a lot of community and regional banks because we have some some that are um, LPs into our various funds. And I want to continue talking with them on parking capital into, you know, venture and these kind of purpose-driven companies, um, not only for, you know, numbers, but for really community impact that they care about. Um, they have also been overwhelmed with going back to their core business of, oh my gosh, we're losing clients or now people are worried about us, even though we have a, a pretty good, you know, track record, etc. And so now it's this stress in, a, in an industry where I feel like a lot of us consumers didn't think too much about. So it's rattled, it's rattled individuals, it's rattled the banks themselves, especially the smaller ones or community ones. Um, and then it's rattled, of course, investors in general, because they're like, wait a second, what, what is like, most of my money or most of the money out there is not insured. So should I just hold tight? Mm -hmm. So now you have this market that's been crazy. Right. Now you have lack of trust. And so people are keeping it close, you know, to the belt, to the waist, whatever you want to call it. And, it, and it's, it's tightened up everything. Now, I think things will loosen up a little bit, but it, it took us a few steps back in the sense of feeling like we have trust and we want to invest in, in the space. Yeah. And I remember, you know, my hedge fund days at Tiger where we had, you know, the Goldman Lehman thing and, and, uh, the whole idea of, okay, this can't happen until it does. And then you realize, wait a minute, it's not as actual, you know, not, not bulletproof, not bulletproof. So that's, that's actually something that I think a lot of people are realizing both on, you know, the business side and the consumer side. You know, if consumer bank fails, what happens in that case? Uh, you know, even though this was mostly business, but very interesting, uh, topic. So. 
We're going to stop there for now, and we'll move on to what we call the lightning round. And we'll play the lightning round after a quick word from our sponsor. If you're an angel or crowdfunding investor, you know how tough it can be to find the right deal flow or syndicate to join. That's where ETF Angels comes into play. As an ETF fund, we pull the best pre-seed level startups together under one umbrella to better diversify your assets and investments. Whether you're a seasoned investor or making your first startup investment, do it with the confidence and support of diverse investors like yourself. Join the investors that have already made the switch by visiting ventureseed.com forward slash communities to learn more and apply. And we're back on DMI. So now for those who are not familiar with our lightning round, here's how it's played. We ask our guests two questions of which one of those questions must be answered correctly in order to win the prize. Now, our guests will have 30 seconds to answer the questions. So, Dr. Goyle, are you ready to play the lightning round? Let's go. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay, here we go. Question number one. In 2019, you partnered with the Chicago Bulls to create a pitch competition for entrepreneurs. Being a Bulls fan myself, how many rings did Jordan win with the Bulls? Four, five, or six? Ooh, five. Second question, true or false, the first woman to fly solo around the world hailed from Columbus, Ohio? Uh, false. Ah, okay. So you didn't get the, the two questions. It was true. And actually, the I was surprised at oh. the second one. And Columbus, actually, he, huh? he, he, Columbus, surprisingly, and he won six, six rings. But, oh, but, but <laughs> we're going to give you, give you uh, uh, some prize anyway, and we'll do that. Uh, right after the show, um, once we have a, a final word from our sponsor. Are you an entrepreneur who's trying to grow your business or an investor who wants to better understand the economies of a startup? Well, DMI listeners, subscribe to our VC Open newsletter where you'll receive some of the best advice on raising capital for your startup all for free. There's no commitment, so go to vcopened.ventureseed.com or visit ventureseed.com for the direct link. So we're back. And you've been hanging out with Dr. Goyle and Jeremy. So, Dr. Goyle, I want to thank you again for coming on the show, being a part of the program. I think we've gained tremendous, incredible insights and values from your journey. So before we head out today, just to, uh, whenever you're ready, want to end today with a parting piece of guidance you can provide to our listeners, the best way we can connect with you, and then we'll say sayonara. All right. Sounds good. My parting advice is... Everything you do or learn, do it for yourself. Don't do it for someone else or an application or for a next stage. With regards to how you can uh, connect with me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn daily. Uh, Naveen Goyle MD is uh, my username and feel free to connect, follow me. And I, I write a lot of entrepreneurial leadership and positive things uh, on a daily basis. Awesome. And that advice, I can't uh, emphasize enough, uh, listeners. Invest in yourself. That's the best way to, to improve for your own you know, personal uh, uh, improvement overall. So thanks again, Dr. Goyle, for coming on the show, providing tremendous value, and we'll chat soon. Thank you so much.